All right, church, go ahead and pull out your uh, worship guide notes. They're located in your worship guide. But all this is is to help you uh, track along with where we're going. I encourage you guys to take notes. I'm a firm believer on if you write things down, it helps you to remember them. And also, uh, a lot of times when we hear a message, um, I would say majority of the times, it's not necessarily for what we're presently experiencing. It's what we're about to experience. And so uh, whether it's a hard time in life or whatever it may be, uh, keep those worship guide notes with you because uh, they're a great thing to kind of reflect on. Um, but hey, this morning, let's go ahead and open up to Haggai chapter 1, starting at verse 5. Haggai chapter 1, starting at verse 5. That's a, are you laughing at the name Haggai? Don't laugh at that name. The Lord might ask you to name your child that, and I pray for you that that does not happen. <laughs> Uh, but hey, I want to catch us up for those who missed out the last few weeks or last week as we launched this series. Uh, we're on part two of a three-part mini-series called Life, Money, Hope. And as the series states, uh, just those three words, uh, each message is going to be about that. Uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at scripture and really saying, uh, really seeing what God says about money, the green stuff. How many of you guys know, um, and I know in church, I don't want you to think this is blasphemous, but I think it's the reality of the, the day and age we live in. Uh, money is very important, right? I think we can agree with that. I, I think a lot of times as Christians, we like to say, you know, no, no, I don't need money. You know, money's not important. Um, well, guess what? Everyone here has jobs, right? Why do you have jobs? So you can make money, right? Everything you need takes money. You need to go grocery shopping. You need money. You need to go buy a car. You need money. Uh, you want to have a kid. Guess what? You're going to need some money to raise that kid. Uh, money is super, super important in, in our life that we live in today. And I want to say that there's kind of two ways to approach money this morning. Uh, we have the world ways of approaching money, which we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, but we're also going to see that there's a biblical way of handling our finances. There's a biblical way of handling our money. And so what we've been doing is looking at scripture and see what God says by our lives when it comes to money, how to handle it, steward it, manage it in a way that really glorifies God. Last week, we talked about the basics of budgeting. We talked about earning, saving, and investing, and so on. But then we didn't stop there. I think a lot of times we stop at the basics of finances 101. But really, if you look at scripture, God goes way beyond that way beyond that. It's not a, uh, when it comes to biblical standards of finances, it's not says do this, don't do that. God says, you know, the things that you do here matters in heaven. I want to say that one more time because I, I think a lot of times we think that this is just a temporary place for us to pass through and try to get to heaven as fast as we can. God has a purpose and a plan for you here and everything that you do, including handling our finances, has kingdom impact. Has, it has value. It has, uh, there's a reason why we are here and how we handle our money today. God says something about that. And so last week we talked about how compensation doesn't necessarily point to your calling. Uh, just because you get paid very well to do something, God might be asking you to do something different. Let that sink in a little bit. I would say a lot of times the careers and jobs that we have, really those are just kind of what we do, but not necessarily the why that we are here. The best way I put it is uh, when I was going to um, college, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And the Lord says, you know what? You can do whatever you want to do, but it's the why that matters. So if you're a teacher here this morning, guess what? You're a teacher, and that may be kind of your calling, but really you are a Christian that happens to be a teacher, and you have a plan and a purpose in your school system. Same thing with the railroaders. Same thing working at the electrician plant. That whatever you do, compensation does not necessarily point to your calling. And so um, that's just one of the points, and you can catch up all of that on the rocknp.com. Everything's recorded, and you can catch up there. But today, uh, I want to go ahead and title the sermon, and it's called The Way Out. 
Today we're going to be talking about the way out. A lot of times in this life, I think we, uh, when things get start kind of getting tight with money uh, or just anything in life, when we feel the pressures of life, uh, we are really good at play, uh, playing the blame game. When things just start getting tight, we're really good at playing the blame game. Uh, for instance, um, we see the bank account getting really low. Uh, we kind of blame our paycheck. We don't get paid enough. That's why the bank is low. We see something that we want to buy, but it's a little bit more expensive. And so we say, oh, that's just really expensive. I can't get that. No, that, they're just trying to get my extra dollar. We play the blame game. Everything that's kind of, I would say, not according to our ways, we blame someone or we blame something. Every time we feel financial pressure, we like to play the blame game, or at the at very least, blame someone else or something else. But I want to step on some toes this morning, including my own, because I went through this, and uh, I, I've learned when I was typing this up through the week, I'm like, Lord, I'm not really feeling this message. And as a pastor, uh, we have this rule that if you're not feeling it, you better not preach it. And so last time, I'm like, Lord, I'm not feeling it, so I'm just going to go ahead and kind of read this. So I was uh, kind of preaching the sermon to my TV. My TV got saved last night, praise God. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. But it would be awesome. Uh, but uh, I was kind of going through, and I finally got that aha moment. And so my prayer for you is that you'd get that same aha moment as we walk through this together. But how many of you guys know that we are really good at getting ourselves into trouble? Yeah. Like, we are the kings of it. We are the best at getting myself into trouble, getting yourself into trouble. It, it's, it's, let me explain it this way. I have two toddler kids. I got three kids. We got baby Brooklyn, who's brand new. Um, they're at home because they all got the gunk with all the stuff going on. But I have two toddlers, and two toddlers are, uh, they're not equivalent to like, you know, like, you know, just hell-raising, causing demons. You know, they like to tear up everything. But they're kind of close, right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about? They like to cause things and put smelly things around the house and just, you're wondering what's going on. Like, okay, I got one mom that's not judging me and laughing. Thank you. Uh, but it, that happens all the time. And so I have uh, our oldest toddler, Aspen. Um, she loves, when she gets up in the morning, she likes to wake us up around 6 o'clock. And so that's kind of when I roll out of bed. But when she gets out of bed, she likes to go to 0 to 100 in a matter of seconds. I like to go to 0 and 100 over the next 24 hours. And so I'm trying to get a hold of myself, trying to get up and going. And, uh, and before I even make a cup of coffee or I sit down with a blanket on the couch or something like that to get the morning going, she's, al she's already causing things. And so there's one thing that she specifically likes to do. We have this small doggy door that we leave open for our dog to go in and out as she pleases during the night. Aspen knows that that doggy door is open. And before, when she was really small, she used to sneak out, and we would kind of be a little worried. We're like, oh, no, where's our daughter? And I'm pretty sure our neighbors just, you know, I'm surprised they haven't called, like, you know, child services on us because our daughter would sneak out and be playing for, like, at least 30 minutes in the backyard without us knowing. You know, we thought, oh, she's being cute and quiet. Cute and quiet does not come with toddlers. And so we're like, something is wrong. Now she's a little bigger. And what happens is she gets her shoulders through, but her hips get stuck. And I know something's going on because she gets a little angry. She starts screaming. She starts crying. At first, I felt a little bad for her. So, I would, you know, daddy would kind of help her out, you know, slap her hands, say, no, no, you don't do that. But about the millionth time that she does it, I'm getting a little sick of it. And she goes, she crawls, she hears some whining, hears some screaming, I'll go out there. And I said, well, look what you did. Got yourself in a mess, didn't you? And I kind of let her sit there for a little bit, stuck and all hoping that she gets this idea, maybe I shouldn't do this. This just happened yesterday when it was super cold outside. 
She was sitting there, and I'm like, it's kind of cold out, isn't it? She says, uh-huh. I said, do you want to go inside where it's warm? Uh-huh. You want Daddy to help you get unstuck right now? Uh-huh. And so, you know what? I, I helped her get unstuck. But when I get her unstuck, she marches in with a big pouty face, and she marches in, and she's just mad. And she expresses that through a toddler tantrum. How you guys know toddler tantrums? They're ridiculous, right? And so she's screaming, and she's yelling, not because she knew she got herself in trouble. She thought it was my fault that she got stuck when she was in the mess. Like, it was my fault. I think a lot of times we adults, we do that. When we find ourselves in a mess, even a financial mess, we think we didn't get there. We like to play the blame game. But I would dare say this morning, majority of the times when we find ourselves in the mess, it could possibly be because we did something to get there. I, want to, I just want you to soak that in because I think a lot of time we kind of, we think like, oh, I didn't get myself in the mess. You know, life just sucks and this is just where I'm at. But I want to kind of read through today and let you know what's going on. Haggai chapter 1, 5, starting at verse 5 through 7. It says this, says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Remember, this is the verse from last, uh, last week. Uh, I want you to highlight that, underline that, know that, because you know why we have to reconsider our ways? Because the ways that we're doing right now is not working. And guess what? The Jesus that knows everything and above all else, he knows we're messing up. So he's saying, you know what? You need to reconsider your ways. You have sown much, but it looks like you're harvesting little. You eat your food, but you, ha- you don't have enough to fill your stomach. This is the Vaughn translation. I'm kind of just expounding here. You, you, you drink, but you never uh, can, can you know, quench your thirst. It seems like you clothe yourself, but you don't get warm. It seems like you earn your wages, but you put them in a bag with holes in it. It seems, it seems like you're doing a lot of work right now, but there's very little fruit to it. What you're doing right now, grinding your way, putting your nose to the grindstone, and you're working day in and day out, and you're wondering, what, why does this feel futile? Why does it feel like I'm not getting anywhere? I see where I started, but I'm not where I think I should be. The Lord knows that, and he says, you know what, you need to reconsider what you're doing. Maybe the method to your actions is not adding up. Something's missing. What's going wrong? Check your system. Consider your ways. Why? Because the situation that we find ourselves in, it could be because we are doing something wrong that got us into the place that we're in right now. And let me tell you, I think we can all agree with this, that when our finances get out of step, it messes up a whole lot of different things than our checkbook. Right? We can agree with that. Like when our finance is a mess, it brings stress into all areas of life. In fact, Billy Graham, who I believe is one of the best evangelists in our time, and he, he passed away uh, a while ago, but he said this. He even understood. He says, one, uh, he says, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every area of his life. If you can fix your attitude on how you approach money, it might fix a lot of the leaks that you have in your life. Because finances, they're that important. They control a lot of stuff. Statistics prove this. It says, uh, and how we handle affects every area of our life. It can affect our health. I think we can agree with that, right? No one's in a joyous mood when our bank account is under. Right? Or if we had to skip a paycheck, we're not rejoicing and skipping through the streets. 
or if we have to take a pay cut or get laid off or not like, thank you, Jesus. Right? It can affect our health. It can affect our careers. It affects our marriages. In fact, uh, 61% of all divorces have a divorce because of financial issues. And the biggest thing in finances that, that it really messes up and I think we can get in a cycle of finding ourselves in a mess. In fact, there's another cycle I want to introduce you to this morning. Uh, I, I like to call it the debt cycle. The debt cycle. The U.S., I've tried to look up, but it changes all the time, but we are trillions of dollars in debt. And for some reason, we have grown to this place where we think if we take on a large amount of debt, it's not going to affect us in how we live. Scripture tells us what God thinks about debt. I want to let you know this morning, if you have debt, it's not a heaven or hell issue, so don't leave if you have debt thinking, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not saved. That's, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. It's not a heaven or hell salvation issue. But God does say that the debt in our lives could have a mastery over us. And it's true, right? Like when we want to go do something, we have to see how much we have to pay the bills. I wish I could do that, but uh, I have to pay Visa. Man, I really wish I could sponsor a child, but you know, I've got this debt to pay, I have this car loan, I got, I got a car loan to pay. And a lot of times we get ourselves in the cycle of debt. Now, now, not all debt is bad, but most debt, according to scripture, it can have a really big weight in our life. It can cause a lot of issues. But the thing I want us to warn, warn us today is being caught in this debt cycle. And it's a cycle that, that's trapped and the time comes when, where we want to be generous, but we can't because we feel strapped. And so I want to bring us a message this morning that I pray that will give you hope and really to give you a way out. Now today, I'm not going to be talking about debt, snowballs, those things. Uh, we offer a class uh, called Financial Peace University in the spring that you can take. Uh, but I want, us, I want to walk you through on how we get ourselves in a mess, but then how do we get out of it? And the things that I'm going to talk about today, it's much bigger than finances, like, just like anything else that we preach. You can take these points and you can apply it to your marriage, you can apply it to your parenting, you can apply it to your career, you can apply it to wherever, but since we're talking about life, money, and hope, it's going to be kind of geared towards this, but don't think that this is just for money, because it's way bigger than this. Turn to Luke chapter 15, 11. Luke chapter 15, 11. Now, we have it in your worship notes as well on the screens behind me. And I want to tell you the story of, of Jesus that he told about a young man that he had it all. Then he went and squandered it, hit rock bottom, and we'll pick up from there. Verse 11, it says this, it says that, <coughs> excuse me, there's a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, put your finger right there because that's really big. In that time and culture, when you ask for an advance on your inheritance, you might as well be saying, I wish you were already dead so I can get my money. That was, that was, that's like super rude at this time. Just like I would say super rude today to do that. It's not good. This is how arrogant this guy was. And so, but the father, he says, that, he says this. He says, he, and he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate that no one gave him anything. 
I would like to say that we can all agree this guy is in a mess. He's in a, he's in a hairy predicament. How many of you guys have been where this guy has been? You've got yourself into a mess. And I believe in every mess that we find ourselves in has some common themes that we can walk through, just like this guy. So I'm going to show you how this guy got there, and I think these are the same things on how we get ourselves into that mess. So here's the first one. Uh, Point number one is this. Step one to get yourself in a mess, believe in a lie. You believe in a lie. We believe in a lie. For the guy in the story, for some reason, he bought into this idea that it would be okay for him to ask his father in advance on his inheritance. Then he thought it would be okay to go and ditch his family and responsibilities and go and have a reckless life. You see, I believe with all my heart, this guy, he didn't wake up and says, you know what? I'm going to get myself in a mess today. That's my number one goal. I'm going to do that. Just like I don't believe that we wake up and say, you know what? I'm going to make some issues for myself today. I'm going to be intentional and get myself in a pig pen just like that guy did. But you know what does happen is that Satan comes against us with the ones that I believe is one of his greatest weapons in his arsenal, and that is deception. He lies to you. He makes things seem better than what they really are. I mean, if you look in the very beginning in the creation story, what did Satan do, right? He made something that was bad. God said no, but he painted it in a different picture and made it seem better to Eve, right? Just like he does with us all the time. And I believe when it comes to money, he brings some myths and some lies that clouds our judgment. He likes to make things seem better than what they really are. In fact, there was a study done. You can look this up. This is not a pretend study. None of my illustrations are pretend. I try to get real ones. Uh, But this one is called The Day America Told the Truth. It's a real study that was done. And this group came and, and brought thousands of people in and asked them, what would you do? What would you do for $10 million. And here are the results. I want to read them to you. 25% of the people said that they would abandon their entire family. These are honest. This wasn't like a funny thing. I mean, these guys were super honest. They're like, we, we want to know. They're like, I would abandon my family. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week. 16% would give up their American citizenship. 10% would withhold their testimony and allow a murderer to get away. said they would kill a stranger. (laughs) You can give me $10 million, I'll go whack them. I'll go do it. 3% said they'd put their children up for adoption. Some of us were like, I'd give my child away for free. (laughs) But it just proves that in this world, there are some myths and deceptions and lies about money. And I want to tell you, it comes from the enemy. And that's why with anything in this world, I believe wholeheartedly that you can go to Scripture and figure out what God says about it. And money is one of them. Money is one of them. You can go to Scripture and see what God says. It just proves that people don't think nor abide by what God says or how we should handle money because we think we can do it fine by ourselves. You know what that word is called right there? It's a really hard word. It's a really big pill to swallow. It's called pride. It's called pride. It's this self-entitled feeling that tells you that, you know what, I deserve it. I deserve it. I'm entitled to this, you know. And, and like I said, this goes way beyond money. It can go to anything else. I mean, I mean check this out. Uh, your marriage isn't fine, but you think you deserve to be happy, so it's okay to cheat on your spouse with a coworker at work. 
You and your wife may not have sex enough, so you think it's okay to look at pornography. You think it's okay to do these things where if you clearly, if you go to God's word, it says something totally opposite. But you buy into it because it looks good and you deserve it. Please hear me today, church. That's not of God. That's enemy coming at you. And he's going to do things trying to make you think things are way better than what they are. Every time we get in a mess, I believe it starts with a prideful decision. Just like that young man, he made that prideful decision. I deserve my inheritance. I deserve that reckless life. Proverbs, the author of Proverbs 16 18 says this. Uh, we all know this verse. Uh, if you read scripture, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Meaning this, before you get yourself in a really big mess, it starts with pride. It starts with pride. Before you get yourself into trouble, it all begins with a prideful spirit, and it did with the prodigal son. And guess what? If you don't address that prideful spirit to begin with, it's going to evolve, and it evolves into this. And step number two, to get yourself in a mess, we engage in self-destructive behavior. We engage in self-destructive behavior. You know, we put our toes in the water. If it doesn't seem that bad, we continue to step in further, right? Like, if you guys ever go to the ocean, to the lake, what would you do? Uh, let me kind of wait to my ankles. Feels good. All right. I'm going to go up to my knees. Feels pretty nice. And pretty soon, you're up at your chest, and you're telling everyone, hey, guys, come in. The water's great. It's awesome. You, you keep walking, and you don't realize that there's a drop-off. You guys experience that, right? Going out swimming and say, guys, go, 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 and you fall three feet, right? Because you're not seeing the destruction before you because you're so, you think it's been all right, so it's going to be okay as you keep wading in further. I mean, it's called, I, I don't call it, but they call it, they call it the frog syndrome. Pretend that you're a frog this morning. Can you use your imagination with me? Uh, pretend that you're a frog. Did you know if you're a frog and you jump into a pot of boiling water, you know what you do? You hop back out. Right? Not, not, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. Don't sit in boiling water. It's not good. But if you're a frog and you jump into lukewarm water, you're okay. You sit there and it's fine. You invite your other frog friends to join you. And you're having this nice jacuzzi frog party going on, right? Everything's going well. But the thing with the frog is that they have this internal thermostat that kind of accustoms you to the heat. So say you're jumping into a kettle, got your frog party going with your frog friends, everything's going well, but then all of a sudden I crank it up to medium high. Start seeing bubbles. Cool, got a little jacuzzi going on. You're getting, you're getting internal, uh, you're just getting used to the warm water. Then I set it to high. And before you know it, you're so accustomed to the heat that's underneath you, the problem that you find yourself in, the mess that you've created, you don't realize you're boiling to death until it's too late and you die. That's true. You can look that up. There's experiments done on that. The same thing happens with self-destructive behavior. You made the decision, I'm good, I've got the inheritance, so guess what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to spend a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and gamble a little here. I'm going to buy some little you know, drinks over here. Uh, I'm going to rent a car over here. I'll get, I just made some friends that like me now because I have all this money. I'm going to get them all around too, and we're going to keep going. And pretty soon you're realizing you just build up that one crazy night, and you lose everything. Exactly what the prodigal son did. Why do we do this self-destructive behavior? Proverbs 14, again, going back to Proverbs, he says it this way. He says, there's a way that seems right to a man, 
There's a way that seems right, but its end is the way to death. There's a way that seems right, and he's saying, you know what, the world way that seems right, that it's okay, uh, that you should be tolerant about it, and you should just settle with it, and this, it's just the way it is. You should be okay with it. It leads to death. It doesn't work out because there's a God's way of doing things. And when we realize that we have done is self-destructive, then we realize that, hey, you know what? I'm going to get a little shameful. And instead of asking for help, we do this. Step number three to get yourself in a mess. We isolate ourselves from those who can help. We isolate ourselves from those who can help. Why do we isolate ourselves? Because we still think that we can do it by ourselves. See, it all begins with pride. You know what? I, I, I know what I did was wrong, but I can still fix this. I still got time. It's okay. I still got this. And so we isolate ourselves so we can focus on ourselves. Let me, let me tell you this. When you're in, in isolation, that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be. Because when you're in isolation, he can have a heyday with you. Because you're far from any edification, any encouragement. Someone that can actually maybe help you get out of the pig pen. Don't isolate yourself this morning. No matter where you're in, even in finances, if you're in debt up to your eyeballs, don't isolate yourself. Seek out help. If your marriage is on the rocks, don't isolate your marriage. Seek some help. If you're struggling with pornography or any other type of addiction, don't isolate yourself. Seek some help. That's what the body of Christ is for. Seek some help. It's okay. Again, Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. You see, and it's kind of interesting we think about this because we think we isolate ourselves. It's a, very, it's, a, it's a selfless thing. It's a good thing. But really saying it's a very selfish thing because you think you got it. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So when you isolate yourself, step number four of getting yourself in a mess, we find ourselves in a dark place. You started with pride, made that bad decision, start going down the steps, and now you're pretty close to rock bottom. And you find yourself in a dark place. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 88.8, he had some issues going on in his life. And, but he says this, this is a prayer to God. He says, you've caused my companions to shun me. My friends, that they're not here anymore. Uh, you've made me a horror to them. And so he's saying, you know what, my friends, not only do they not like me, but they dislike me. They want nothing to do with me. I'm a shut-in and so that I can't escape. I feel like I'm trapped. I can't get anywhere. I can't breathe. I feel like there's an elephant sitting on my chest. I, 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 I can't get out and seek help because now I'm, I'm in too deep. That's how we get in a mess, church. Four easy steps to get into a mess. And in any mess where we didn't give careful ways, thought to our ways, marriage, life, and even money, I want to let you know that there is good news to this. That there's always a way out. The nice thing is that when we find ourselves in messy times, Psalms 34, 18, he says this, and I love this. Please take this as an encouragement, church. It says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. No matter how far you've gotten yourself 
into a mess. The Lord has been with you every step of the way. He didn't abandon you. He has been there the entire time. That first step when you, did the, when, when you had the affair on your wife, that first step where you looked at pornography, that, that first step where you had too much to drink, that first step where you popped a pill, whatever it is, God has been right there beside you. And he's been there with you. He's never left you. I love that about the God we serve. Because a lot of times we think that as soon as we get in a mess, God ran. He split. But the fact if you read and you see his character, Jesus says, even though you're messing up right now, I'm going to be there with you. And let me, I'm going to tell you why he's there with you towards the end. In any mess, you need to remember this. Check out 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is just another promise you can hold on to. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Underline that. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your own ability. But with temptation, I love this part, he will also provide the way of escape. Church, when you see the temptation in front of you, do you look for the escape door? You guys seen Finding Dory? Escape? Big red letters right there. Every mess that you're about to step into, there's a door there with big red letters that says escape. It's always there, but are you looking for it? God will always give you a way out. You're never tempted beyond your own ability. And guess what? Jesus was here. He was in flesh. He knows exactly where you've been at. And he's conquered every temptation. But do you look for that escape? Those are some awesome promises for us to hold on to, but they only come into fruition if you take some action steps. There's a second part to the prodigal son story, starting at verse 17. Let's finish this story off. It says this, when he, he meaning the son that squandered everything, he came to his senses and he said, hey, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go out back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father's house. But while he was still a long way off, I love this picture. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, which, by the way, in that culture was disgraceful for the father to run. Let that sink in for a little bit. Your father in heaven will do absolutely anything to run after you. threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me tell you, church, if the prodigal found his way out of a mess with God's help, so can you. There's always a way out. There's steps to it, but there's always a way out. Number one, step one to get out of the mess that you find yourself in, acknowledge the reality of where you are. Acknowledge the reality of where you are. You see, there was the, the son, the prodigal son. He came to his senses. He says, you know, I'm in the muck and mire with these filthy pigs. And I'm finding myself craving for the food that they're eating. What am I doing here? He realized where, where he's at. Have you realized the truth of where you're at today? Do you recognize the mess that you're in? Do you know the truth about your circumstances? And I love this part because acknowledging the reality of where you are right now, you're accepting the truth. 
And I think a lot of times we need to accept the truth of where we're at. You know, we do this a lot with our kids, you know. I've learned, because my kids haven't got to this point yet, I've learned when I was growing up that if I got myself in a mess, I'd be less in trouble if I told the truth to my parents. Right? If I lied and tried to cover it up, the punishment was not good. But if I came before my dad and said, you know what, Dad? Um, I stole some money out of your wallet. I spent it. Um, I know it's wrong. and I'm sorry. I'll pay you back. There might be a little bit of punishment there. Yeah, whatever. But it wouldn't be as bad if I would have lied. Here's what's cool about our Father in Heaven. If you come before Him and you just lay it out there, come as you are, meaning come as, as the truth. What, just recognize where you are at. Speak the truth. Your Father in Heaven, does he, I, I, he doesn't even punish you. There's natural consequences to what we do. Don't get me wrong. But when you come to Him, He says, okay, that's check one on your spiritual resume. Don't do it again. You got two more checks. He doesn't even do that. In fact, He does exactly what the prodigal son's father does. He embraces you. If you read on further, he, he, he puts the, the signet ring on his finger. He puts a, a robe around his son, and then he throws a massive party. Who does that when we get ourselves into a mess? Your Father in Heaven does. And no matter where you are at, if you just acknowledge the reality of where you're at, God's got a party waiting for you. The psalmist says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin. Did my mother conceive me? I was born with sin. But behold, you delight in truth and inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. God delights in truth and in many cases to get out of a mess is to lay down the pride, tell the truth, and come before God. Some of us were so private with our issues. You know that? Like we are so private with our issues that... that especially money issues that we don't let anyone know how bad we really are and we ask for help. In fact, I was doing a, a planning meeting with, with my team and I was telling them about a season that I was in. It was kind of just, it wasn't like a very dark season, but it was a very rough season personally for me. And I was just letting them know that in the past something happened and their first response was, why didn't you tell us? Like, why? See, because what I did, church, is I isolated myself. And they're saying, why didn't you tell us? Because if you tell someone, if you don't isolate yourself, then we can build you up with encouragement. We can edify you. We can actually do, do something about it. We can get somewhere with this. Tell the truth. And don't be so private with your issues. Now, we don't want to be like a, a, the pity party, right? Like where everyone's like, oh, don't be around them. Like it's just one pity party after another. Don't do that. It's okay to be there, but pick yourself up and go seek for some help. Search out for some help. Trust me, I've been there before. I would make some really stupid decisions, and I would have to call for help to get out of the mess. When Dill and I, we wanted to get a handle on our money, we were in debt up to our eyeballs. We didn't know how we were going to do it. And the Lord called us to ministry, which, by the way, is not a very glorifying paycheck and all that stuff. So we were like, we want to do what God wants us to do, but how do we do this stuff? We got all this debt. We got bills to pay. We got all this stuff to do. We had to seek out help. And we did. 
We had to seek out help. So acknowledge. Don't try to make it better than what it is. But then step two, develop a plan of attack. Develop a plan of attack. You know you're a mess. Now what? What are you going to do about it? Because I think a lot of times we hit rock bottom. We're saying, you know what, Lord? Um, would you just pick me up out of it? And I believe he does that for certain things. But if you read through scripture, any heroes of the faith, they go through a season. They walk through the valley of shadows. They go through it. And so you have to develop a plan of attack. For the, for, for the prodigal son, he was going to go back and fall on his face and express his regret of his actions to his dad and ask his, at least if he could get a job as being a slave for him. Because he's already messed up. Some of us, we need to have a plan. And I believe that's the church's part in your life is that we help you develop a plan of attack. We don't leave you where you're at. If you're having addictions, come talk to us. If you're having marital problems, come talk to us. I've walked people through that. And guess what? If we can't do that, we have people that can. We'll point you in the right direction. We'll show you how to get through it. The Bible says, Proverbs 27, 27, verse 12, says the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. If, if your marriage is in a hole, seek for some help. If your struggle in parenting, being a, a godly man, drugs and addiction, no matter what it is, the church can help you out or at very least refer you to someone. I mean, through the year, we have community groups. You want to figure out how you develop those relationships so that you can be prudent in your life and figure out where those danger signs are? Join a community group. Develop those relationships. Because let me tell you, just having the, the weekly dose of attending church for the, you know, the next 90 minutes is not enough in your spiritual life. Sunday mornings, they're great, but this isn't the magic pill that you swallow and everything's okay. You have to do life with people. You have to develop those relationships. So when we have our community groups come up here for the winter semester, join one. Even if you don't like the topic, just go and find some people to hang out with. Because when you do life together, that's when that iron sharpens iron happens. And you become prudent in your life and you'll see the danger signs. If the worship team wants to come up. The next step after you develop a plan of attack <clears throat> is to do it. To do it now. The whole worship team, who guys want to come up? You know, having a plan is good. But if you leave a plan a plan, you know what happens? Nothing. It's like having a building plan for a house. You got the blueprints, you know what to do, but if you just leave it as blueprints, all it is is just a blueprint for a house. When you develop a plan of attack, if you just leave it as a plan, there's no attacking. It's just a plan. And I think a lot of times, we as Christians, we try to wait for the perfect time, right? I mean, how many times do we do it? January 1st is coming up, and I guarantee you a lot of us are already thinking of our January, like the new, like the, the January 1st resolutions, right? Like, we're going to wait till January till I quit smoking. I'm going to wait till January till I start losing weight. I'm going to wait till January to do this, because January 1st seems like the perfect time. Let me tell you, there's no perfect times than now. 
just do it now. 2 Corinthians says this. Let's tune in here, church. Verse 2, he says, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. When's the best time, church? Right now. When's the best time to get things right? Right now. When's the best time to fix your financial mess? Right now. When's the best time to fix your marriage? Right now. Don't wait. Paul even recognized that. He says, now is the day. But here's the biggest thing, church, because you can do all this stuff and that's great, and a lot of that stuff is kind of self-reliance, but this last part is the biggest thing of them all. It's the, it's the biggest thing. It's the, one of the last things that we see the prodigal son doing is this. Humbly ask your father for help. I found out that no matter what mess that you're in, there's something that supernaturally happens when you come before God and humble yourself in your mess, ask him for help. have that picture again with the prodigal son. That father would not have known his son was coming home unless that father every single day was standing on his front porch keeping his eyes to the horizon. Just waiting. Maybe today's the day my son's going to come home. Okay, not today. Maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to go out and I'm going to keep my ass to the horizon. Maybe today is the day. He did that every single day, waiting for his son to come home. Let me tell you something this morning, church. Don't pack up yet because there's some powerful things that's going to happen here in a bit. Your father in heaven has been keeping his eyes to the horizon, waiting on the front porch, waiting for you to come home. He has been waiting for you. He knows what happens. He knows that you're in a mess, but he doesn't care. He's been waiting faithfully for you. Do you understand the power of that? Like I think a lot of times we think we have to come like, like God's on this massive throne waiting to beat us with a stick because we've messed up. But that's not the case. Jesus is on the front porch. Maybe Vaughn's going to come today. Maybe today's the day where I get to help him. Could this be the moment where I see him pop over? And guess what? When he saw the prodigal son, he didn't just stand there and say, oh, about time. I knew he was going to come crawling back to me. I'm going to teach him a lesson. No, he sees you and he runs to you. He runs to you, church. That's how much your Father in heaven loves you. There's something that happens when you humble yourself and ask God to intervene. Why is being humble important? Let me wrap up with this. When you humble yourself in front of your Father, you step back in His favor. You see, we're not, we're not constantly in God's favor. That prideful decision, you step outside of your covering because you think you got it. But when you humble yourself, God's like, finally, he's home. Will you guys stand this morning?
have a time of prayer. Thinking of those of you who are on the prayer team, I think just one of you guys are here. If you can come to the front, we're ready to pray for people. 1 Peter 5 says this, we're going to dim the lights. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Who needs some grace this morning? Come on now. Who needs some grace in their lives? It starts with humility. Humble yourself before God. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Did you know your Father in heaven, he wants to exalt you? Like we think that, that, that you know, we think meek, and we're like, oh my goodness, this will be going, God be praised. No, your God wants to exalt you. You know how I know? Because when you read the prodigal son, we didn't get to read it, but if you read the few lines after that, do you know what he did? He had one of the best barbecues in the world. He says, you know what, guys, guys ever, my son finally came home. He's here. He messed up, but it's okay. So let, let's, get, let's get things going. Let's get the best of the best. We're going to have a big party here. Go out and get the cow. We're going to have some delicious steaks. And it's going to be a great time tonight. Because guess what? My son, he finally came home. He wants that for you, church. He wants to exalt you. So guess what? That's the way out. No matter any mess that you find yourself in, that is the way out. But what are you going to do about it? We talked about life, and today we switched up and gave some hope, and I pray that you got some hope. 